In today's episode, I have Chris and Josh, better known online as the Credit Brothers, who have amassed over a million followers online teaching credit to both business owners and everyday people, how to improve their credit score, optimize it, and then use it to get business funding to help grow their business. And in the episode, we talked about the lessons that they have taken and learned in building their business from literally zero to hitting their first seven-figure run rate, the team members they hired, the operational complexity that they have, and then we'll end the podcast talking about how you can potentially get access to tens of thousands of dollars in business credit so that you guys can grow your business at 0%. Tell me what is one decision that you've made that has made all other decisions in your business easier? I would say something, but the camera's already rolling. I don't necessarily want to sell the business, but I realized if it's built on me, that is a cap and a limitation. So now it's about building systems. Many business owners are managing their own companies. When they could establish their own additional company that's called a management company. To me, it's just about building systems so the business is fully automated, and then it frees me up to A, think bigger and build teams around it, and B, um, start doing th more things that I enjoy younger. All right, the Credit Brothers, Chris Joss, I asked the exact same question for every single guest as the first one on here. What's one thing that you've implemented a simple solution or system inside your business that has made almost everything else easier for you? So thought about this question a little bit, and I think the simplest thing that we've done is allow ourselves to trust others to do the job that we've done. Because when we made that transition from being people that had a business to then being business owners, yeah. that jump, that leap was so significant because in order to become a business owner and not just somebody that worked on their business, you have to begin to delegate tasks and sometimes not just a simple task, sometimes selling your product or your service or marketing your product or service, massive things that you feel very strongly about because it's a representation of your business and therefore you, to be able to put that trust in somebody else to do the job, that's not as simple as we as we thought it was going to be, but once we made that leap, it's made in, in monumental difference for the for the business. First of all, you said one of my favorite lines was like owning a business and being a business owner, which I would say, at least in my experience, like 90% of people conservatively uh, own a business. They're not business owners, right? Um, and so like, or the reverse, they're business owners. They don't actually own a business. So when you guys say you had to delegate and like start to hire people, I also think it's more interesting because you know you guys have around a million followers across all your channels. You guys are huge on TikTok, over six hundred thousand. You guys are clear experts in credit, and most of the time, when I see people like you guys, who it's like, um, and I'm kind of asked this in a moment, but it's like either you knew credit a little bit before and then you kind of got following online and then you turned into a service or was it more like that you guys uh knew a lot about credit you had a business servicing people in credit like credit repair and then you like just got it online and started doing videos and then you used that to grow the business which one of the two was that so it was really that chris came as the foundation for the knowledge that we now have with credit so we're brothers i'm the younger brother he's the older throughout our childhood i don't i'd always follow in his footsteps if he yeah. liked something if he got interested in something 
I did too. So he kind of had this foundation of credit knowledge. I picked up on it, started learning some stuff. And this was before we had social media, before we had a business. So we really just started with the social media side first because we just wanted to teach people things because enough people and our friends and family were telling us, hey, you're, 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 cha- you're, you're chipping our ears off for like an hour straight mm-hmm. on this phone call. Like people need to know this stuff. This is important. So we started with social media first without any thought that we were going to have a business. And we were just told people's problems. Interesting. Because of the content we produced, it created a lot of outreach from the people that watched it that said, hey, I have this issue. Can you help me? So we didn't start a service or a product at all. We, we just started with the content and then everything else came after. I, I love that. And it's it's kind of ironic because when I talk about people starting businesses, like there's two things, right? You need attention and then you need a product or a service. And ironically enough, I always say that in my opinion, the attention is one of the harder things to do and the product or service, because you can kind of model after somebody else, but the attention, like that's how people get paid millions of dollars for one post or, you know, uh, some kind of blast on their social media is because attention is the most valuable thing out there. And you guys kind of nailed that when it came to credit. What was, like, why was it different? There's obviously a bunch of people. I know people in the credit space. Like, why do you think in less than three years you guys have had kind of had this monumental rise to over a million followers? Like, what, is it because of the way, is it because you guys were answering people's specific questions on credit? Is it because you guys were answering things on credit that nobody else knew? Like, what was the difference that allowed you guys to do that? Yeah, so I think uh, a big part is we see a lot of people that we connect with, especially in the creator business world, that are either business owners first or content creators first. And content creators, they might not have a service behind them, and so they're just trying to put out the best content possible, whether that's authority content, virality content, you know, giving the sauce, whatever it may be. And so it's content first, where business owners might have a product and then start trying to use content as a direct sell, you know, CTA on every single video they sell, which obviously that's, you know, people can sense that in the videos. And so for us, we always come from a content creation first, which, you know, we've been able to wrap into the business and maybe, you know, we do it pretty well. Maybe we could be doing it a lot better, you know, if we had more of the business sense in some areas, but we always come from how can we give the most specific actionable things that people can actually do rather than the 30,000 foot view, but more do this, do this, do this. The actual things that people are keeping behind the the barriers, we're actually putting out completely for free because we believe if we put out our best content, the best information through a no like trust system that we've used to build our business to this day, that people will know us off the different platforms. People will start to trust us and like us because we're just everyday people and we're actually giving real information that people can be using and executing on the day to day rather than hey, if you want this thing, go buy this thing, and then you, maybe you'll have that answer. Yeah, that, that's fair, and I love it. I, I agree 100% in the law of reciprocity, and obviously you guys are kind of living proof of it. But the question is, right, if you start in the content side and you're not selling anything, how are you guys paying your bills? Like, what, what, was the, was, what, what were you guys making money? Before? Was it just off of, like, promotions? Or, like, how did you guys, before you launched the product or service, how did you guys make money? So, you know, we spent our first two months on social media posting on Instagram, had less than 100 followers. We posted every single day. Then we went on to TikTok, and within a month, we kind of grew like over 100,000 followers and then had all these leads. So how we were making money was through our jobs. You know, I worked in engineering. Chris worked project management and and consulting for our our dad's, uh, you know, contracting company. And 
you know, we just pay the bills with normal everyday jobs until eventually the social media expanded, leads became a thing that we now had, and then we just created a product and a service to to fit what those leads and people's problems were, which then eventually started paying the bills. So social media for us was not something we initially thought was gonna turn into a business. Yeah, um, We didn't go into it saying, oh, this is absolutely gonna be the way that we make money. We just kinda wanted to start making content because we felt it was it was a disservice to people if we didn't make the content. So we didn't have this grandiose vision. It just kind of started to happen naturally. And I, I always love asking questions when we get partners on here. And you guys have this unique ability. I think you're the first partner brothers that we've had on here Real as brothers. well, right? Yeah. So when it comes to like when the decision came to you guys to start a business around this, like it was it let's be partners and where it was the idea from the get-go you do uh, like the expertise on the actual solving and you do the marketing and that was just an assumption I made or like is there some kind of clear delineation of what you guys are both good at or is it you're both kind of doing a little bit of everything right now so given that we're brothers we know a lot about each other yeah. so we, without really having to talk about everything we just kind of knew our roles like i'm naturally more camera facing and you know i come from a modeling and acting background as well so i'm very comfortable in camera situations so when it came to content he could just click record on a camera and i would just you know talk for 10 minutes straight about credit and then he would post edit it get it on social media do the thing so chris is really good at operational things so being able to kind of find out how to make the system continue to operate as we scale up i'm really good at say content or you know the networking side of the business and in discovering the new opportunities for us to create a product or a service and chris is just a really good um i don't know i i we we operate very well naturally. You know, I love my family, but like I have seen what happens when family members do business together. So like I have a rule, which is like if uh, someone in my family wants money, like or they want a job, mm. I'm just like just take the money because I don't want to like mix this kind of thing together. What are maybe like some? I think this is great on both a partnership level and on like maybe getting into business with family. What are maybe some lessons or obstacles you guys had to like overcome when you first? Because you guys are uh, have a multiple six figure. I think uh, just hit a first year seven-figure run rate, which is amazing. So like, you guys have a decent-sized business now. What were some of the first obstacles you guys had to overcome when it comes to either business with family or partnerships with uh, obviously more than one person? So our father run, runs an electrical contracting company, and that has been present in our lives our, the entirety of the time we've been alive. So doing business with family has always just been normal to us, even though we've been oftentimes told about bad experiences other people have had going in business with their uncle or their brother or their sister or whatever. So for us, I mean, Chris and I have been so close over the years that we already had this insane trust that was built. So as far as an obstacle that we didn't have to ever face was, hey, why did $1,000 just leave the account today? If that happened, then we just already trust each other to know that that money went to something that was purposeful, paying off a credit card, buying a, a product or, or consulting call or whatever it is. Like We don't need to wonder where the money's going because we just trust that it's going to be there. But I would say one of the largest obstacles is learning how to delineate how are we going to maintain being brothers and also business partners? Yeah. Because although that on one hand, there's a lot of things that are we're completely on the same page with, say, why we're trying to, you know, amass a certain amount of money saved up. We have like a, a unified goal for that. Maybe it's on a personal level, but because we're brothers, a personal goal is 
somewhat together. Um, but being able to be, say, at a family event and talk to, you know, our, our family that say we're at a Thanksgiving table and they're asking us questions about the business, if something, say, went wrong or I made a mistake or he made a mistake, how do we not get infuriated with one another? How do we not you know, lament on something that went wrong yeah. and not have that affect the fact that we are brothers and we're still supposed to be family and there's not, it's not business all the time. I think that's, I think that's so, I appreciate you being vulnerable about that. I think that's true. You want to add anything to that at all or? No, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty, that's pretty a spot on. So yeah, like, I mean, so I help, which is, I respect that, right? It's like, you know, it's very difficult when it comes to the fit and they're, you know, I've always said even work-life balance I don't think really exists. And it's like dichotomy when you say it's a work-life balance, right? I think it's really more work-life harmony. Like how can you kind of make it work, which it sounds like you guys are doing well, which I, I want to shift gears a little bit here. And so we go back to you guys starting the business. Uh, you guys started do getting, you guys said quote-unquote leads. So are leads just people hitting your inbox? Like, yo, I have this specific, okay. Yes. And then how did you transition that those first few leads into the online, like, into, or, I'm sorry, into a product like or a service? What was that process like? Yeah, so we were, um, at the time, when we started TikTok, it was like, you know, there's that, uh, that book it was like copy like an artist, um, steal like, steal like, steal an, like artist. an artist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was like, look at what's already working. Create your own version. So I just looked at the top fifty videos that were hashtag in different areas. Looked at those and I was like, hey, we're gonna create videos off of these fifty hashtags. One of those happened to be around collections in a credit repair area. That video happened to go very viral, three to four million views in a couple of days. And out of nowhere, people started going, "Hey, can you help me with your credit? With my credit?" How many people told us? Hun like hundreds, 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 hundreds. Wow. hundreds. Wow. I mean, we couldn't. We were. We didn't know what to do. We didn't even know there was a spam folder in Instagram. <laughs> and we we're like, "What are all these ninety-nine plus?" And it would never go down. And so it was like we kind of had some knowledge behind us, but it was like, "Hey, this is a problem." And there's a saying that our dad used always says, "Opportunity meets preparation." That's what. So luck. No one's ever lucky. Unless you hit the lottery, then you're lucky. But luck is a combination of opportunity meeting preparation. Opportunities come in every, you know, multiple ways throughout the day to day and your lifetime. And if you're prepared to take the opportunity, that creates that combination of luck. So opportunity was, hey, there's a ton of people that want to pay us to fix their, you know, help them get into a better situation. We might you know, we're prepared because we have at least a baseline of knowledge of what to do. I think we can figure this out. And so we just started taking sales calls and, you know, we had an idea of how to fix credit. We weren't, you know, fully there, but we figured it out really, really, really quickly and, you know, put the whole system together. So were you just like getting on the call, like you, don't, you have bad credit. By the time we're done working, you'll have decent credit and pay me this amount of money. Is that just like the rough version? That was of it? that was that was a rough version. I yeah. mean, we we put together a contract and we were, you know, fully aware that hey, if this doesn't work out, like we will be giving money back. Refunds. And that was part of the reason why we didn't actually quit our jobs for a while, because although we were cash flowing really heavy, we just we 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 needed to be. What was the point that you guys quit the job? I'm always curious with that. Like, what was the business doing? How many clients were you guys closing a month? Or like, what was the numbers that you guys were like? All right, I feel safe enough now that this makes the most sense. Yeah, and just to finish up that thought is that we knew how to fix credit. We just didn't know how to do it at scale. Yeah. So all of a sudden we went from zero to a hundred. Like literally, that's what happened. Sure. So for us, we spent a few several months 
figuring out how to scale it, thankfully we ended up doing that. Um, so then we were able to fulfill everything we were we were talking about on the phone with people during that time. So, um, you know, for us, right, uh, a big mentor um, is Jim Rome. Uh, he mentored Tony Robbins. I'm very familiar with his literature. I've been, uh, you know, listening and reading his, his stuff for years now. And he talks about this concept of, you know, working on your passion uh, as a part-time uh, versus working full-time at your job. And basically, there's this point, and it's different for everybody, for when they feel that they can go full-time on their passion. And it's typically around the security that they feel around the money that they're making. So what that number was for me was different than what it was for Chris. So that was another one of those points of, well, when when, when is it okay for him to quit his job versus me, Did right? you guys do two different times? Did yeah. you guys each, oh. Yeah, we did. Yes. So kind of an interesting story. I'll make it short. We have a, a an actual mentor here in Miami, actually. Um, his name's Terrence, and he was one of the first people that came into our lives in the business sense that really drove us to realize that if we wanted to take this to scale, we wanted to actually be business owners, we had to quit our jobs. So we had a few calls with him. He did uh, 25 million multiple years doing life insurance actually up in New England. He ran a, a big firm there. So, you know, he's been doing business for decades and he was like, hey, listen, you guys have a great thing, but you're not going to be able to do this without quitting your jobs. So the monetary value was different for Chris and I. What, what namely we were both on the same page with was the consistency of the revenue. Were we able to maintain, say, $50,000 or more a month, month after month for three straight months? And then do we have a, a, a confident projection that for the next six months, It'll we, we have enough going for us that we're going to be able to continue this? Because obviously one video goes viral, we have a thousand leads. Well, that's great. Well, what if that doesn't happen again for six months? So when you guys got this that video, it was viral. You got those leads. You started delivering. You guys fulfilled on those leads. Like, and I know before we started, you guys hit your first seven figure run rate. You have no ads going, so these are all organic. So have you figured out like somewhat of a marketing system that's like now it's a little bit more consistent? Like, hey, we put three videos out a week. One of them has a call to action that goes to the DMs, and then one of you like, what does that process look like for you guys? I'm always curious when I get people with a huge organic audience. Like, how do you turn what seemed like a once fluke thing into like you said something that's a real business that you can predictably rely on new leads week after week, month after month? Hey guys, really quickly, if you're getting value out of this, please be sure to share it wherever you share things. Share it with your friends, your colleagues, your employees, share it to somebody that you know needs to hear this message. We put an incredible amount of work into these videos and these episodes for you. And all I ask in return is for simply to share it to somebody else that wants to hear that or needs to hear this message. All right, let's get back to it. Yeah, so I mean, there's obviously an ebb and flow in any anything. If you're not running ads, there's going to be a, even in ads, there's an ebb and flow. Yeah. There's an ebb and flow in ads too. Okay. So that's, that's good to know. Cause yeah. I, I just look at ads <laughs> as the magic system. No, it's, uh, I just promise but, you. Yeah. Town <laughs> shut down. You got uh, CPMs go up, you got tech breaks. So it, even ads have ebb and flow of uh, ad fatigue happen. So, I mean, this is a great lesson for everyone listening as well. There's no like one surefire thing. And I think the best is a blend of both, right? So you have right. organic mm-hmm. for when the ads go down and you have levers you can pull like text message blast, viral content, and then to help supplement the uh, organic, you have ads running at the same time. But I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. So yeah. So um, at least really recently, uh, I would say in the last three months, what's been the most consistent thing is posting non-high quality content, like real, like our content right now is very highly produced. But the stuff that actually drives the leads is the 
off the rip phone client testimonial. Hey, this is where this person was. This was their situation. This is where they are now. And actually posting it on Facebook. Really? Facebook. You're on, 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 on pers- a page? Personal, personal, personal pages. Not business. Interesting. Not a page. A personal Facebook page drives the most organic direct CTAs. They don't, you know, TikTok will plummet your video if you CTA on it. And even with Instagram, that doesn't plummet your video or, you know, suppress it. Facebook, my personal Facebook page is the one that's ever, I know if I post one or two testimonial videos a week, I get, you know, 30 to 50 DMs plus 30 to 50 comments. Wow. And now I know that, you know, a good portion of those will fill our calendar for. And what's the process like from once someone DMs you? Are you guys individually in your own IGs and stuff doing it? Do you have a setter that does it? Like, how do they get to a booked call from that stage? Yeah. So we actually just brought on uh, somebody to handle that. Um, So they're not an appointment setter, although they do have a DM funnel that they go through that effectively does set appointments. Um, But we gave them a structure. They have SOPs that they work with and we got them the access they needed because unfortunately, because it's a personal personal Facebook page, there's not the same level of uh, intricacy that you yeah. can actually manage it. You you have to sign into messenger.com. Like yeah. there is no business or meta business suite. Sweet. Like you can't do that with a personal page. So dealt with a little bit of a, you know, interesting touch there, basically giving his personal Facebook login details um, to this person. But it's working out great. And now they, they just kind of manage that consistently every day for us. Interesting. And so their goal is obviously answer questions because, you know, uh, anyone listening to this, at some point, if you're getting hundreds and hundreds of comments and DMs, like there's just no way, even if you sat there every single day and just answered it all day long, you're going to get to all of them, right? And you guys know that you can help these people. So you're having them move them to a call. And is the call framed as like, hey, we're going to, uh, help you with your credit? Is it like, hey, this call is going to be like, do you have a video that they watch beforehand? How do they kind of get pre-nurtured on the call before they actually get on the call? So it's a it's a credit consultation, as we say. So cool. we we review credit reports in detail. We have it fully audited by our team. And that way, when the salesman gets on the call, they're able to have in-depth information associated with that specific person's credit oh, so profile. So they're filling out like some kind of form or something beforehand? Correct. Yeah, oh, we require cool. it. So we actually have an interesting system that most people in the, in specifically the credit repair space don't do, which is make people pay a $25 fee to actually book the call in the first place. I like that. Because otherwise we deal with terrible show up rates, people book it, and then they just never show up. So this we have a, over a 98% show up rate on all calls because people have to actually put down a small amount of money wow. before they even get on it. So their pre-frame is Obviously, there's a landing page, there is a VSL that kind of explains what they're going to be getting into, but it's also straightforward. It's, hey, you have effed up credit, we're going to figure out how to how to help you, and if we can, we're going to let you know on the call. Interesting. And then well, once they get on the call, who's taking sales calls? Uh, so we have a we have a team for that. Yeah. Oh, so, really? So you guys aren't taking the calls? Correct. That was, yeah. That was that was a big thing. Our uh, our mentor Ter- uh, Terrence McMahon, he did several tech talks. Uh, he was this was like two years ago. Last time we ended up seeing him, and we were taking calls while we were hanging out with him and he's like, you know, we had our first $10,000 day and we were so excited and we were, I remember we were in the elevator going to lunch and he goes, you guys will be full, you guys will be real business owners when you can make $10,000 in a day and not ever get on the call. Yeah. And so that was like a Like a big, light bulb went off. Yeah, big motivator because it was like, you know, again, that trust aspect. Well, we're selling and at that point I was, I was selling at like a 60, 70% close rate and I was like, there's no one that's going to be able to sell as good as me. I have to take the calls. Sure. I can't trust someone else. Like our volume's going to drop. We're going to make no money. But it was like, so that was a, 
that's been the biggest overcome. But, the, but I, and probably you're right. And I, that's why I love that you started this with like the delegation, like giving it other people, because it was just a great segue. And that's like what we do at Scaling the System. So uh, when you come to the salesperson, they're probably, the guys you have right now, they're probably not closing at 70%, right? They're actually they're closing, closing at about 50%. 50%. Okay, yeah, not bad, right? So there is a delta of 50 to 70%, yeah. right, where you are. But at the same time, if you don't have to be on eight calls a yes. day, you can probably make, and this is just a great lesson for everyone listening to this right now. Everyone's like, oh, I don't want to give that money. It's because the, there, there's uh, three costs involved. First cost is the commission that you pay the salespeople. Second cost is going to be the opportunity cost of what if you close the deal versus what they close the deal. And the th like, so, you know, um, if the, you're, they're closing at 10% and you're closing closing at 20%, the delta is 10%. But the third cost that people don't think is what the value of your time is. So like now that you have, for example, if you're taking a lot of the calls, now you're not taking calls. How do you spend a lot of your time now? What do you do now? Yeah, so now it's uh, now it's developing the new vertical and putting new, trying to figure out new sales scripts and new ways to market. You know the digital products, and so you know, yes, we have the credit building side. Our motto is repair, optimize, leverage. But where's optimize and leverage? So that's where you know the repair side is the repair side. The business funding and helping business owners is that side. That's a completely different vertical versus people that you know want to just get credit cards and leverage the credit cards and do all the you know the cool things that you can do with credit. You know, travel and liquidate and you know get get a bunch of points and it's you know in order to build those other areas or build you know a higher ticket inner circle program. Well. That stuff takes time and you gotta, you know, there's also continue to learn, paying mentors, getting in other people's courses, learning more information, bettering your skills so you can make your product more valuable. And if I'm on the phone all day managing the day to day, I mean, literally was spending 95, 99% of my days, 12 hours a day doing this stuff. Which I think is is good for people to know that you. It's awesome that you started there, and it's good because you validated the product or service. You guys kept your profit margins high, but it's it's kind of funny because arguably, you know, you guys are making tens of thousands of dollars a month while you're taking sales calls. So it's kind of like, why do I want to hire a salesperson? It might go away. But what you're talking about here, launching new products, new services, new verticals, like you, what you're doing before is ten thousand dollar moves. What you're doing now is million dollar moves. You know right. what I mean? Like so that's and that's also what I tell my team as well. Like hey, there's a reason why. I don't need to be involved in this decision-making process here because let's say, for example, it's like uh, a situation where someone's buying something for $10,000 or like losing stuff for the $10,000. It's like, if I have to have this conversation, then I am an hour, my hour of this time is worth this $10,000 here. But if I spend that same hour building something that can help the company make millions of dollars, then that's that's really the, fr and, and if you think about it, the most successful people in the world Obviously, we all know they don't have more time. They're just using their time wiser on more leverage activities. So, and you guys are kind of going up that ladder. And and you said something about the high ticket thing. So, is that one of the transitions for you guys a little bit here? Is it to go from more of the service based side to like learning a little bit more of the high ticket world and launching like a program around that? So, I would say that digital products uh, are are high on the on the thought process for us. What okay. we're really good at is delivering service. So, you know, we're in the process now of scaling a new vertical based on the time that we now have. We're able to now say, well, we know how to help consumers repair their credit. We do that for them. Now let's help business owners get access to, you know, $100,000 plus of 0% interest capital for their business. That's a new service. Uh, you know, we're in the process of scaling that up and we're confident and then by Q by the end of Q2 we're going to have that fully scaled up sales team CSMs in place to manage the clients whole thing. So 
we want to dial in uh, that service and then transition ideally into some sort of high t- higher ticket-based community or program, which we already do have a medium ticket version of that. We call it our inner circle, where we do host Zoom calls, not on a regular cadence, but around a, once a month on okay. average. And we also host all of our digital content. So our Travel More Academy, teaching me all the teaching people how to travel for free. They get that included, our 800 credit score blueprint. Like all of the things that people can buy individually, they get it all bundled. They also get more intimate access to us as well. So we are able able to help people in a more of a one-on-one setting just through DMs or voice notes and things like that. Um, But being able to take that from say $1,500 or $2,000 all the way up to $7,000 or $8,000 or $20,000 or whatever that number may be, uh, obviously that's going to take a different level of time commitment where we don't want to be on sales calls trying to help, you know, do do that thing. We don't want to have to be so actively managing um, all of the services that we have. We want to have that be on as much autopilot as possible so then we can truly dedicate our time to helping that community in the future be able to grow and 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 uh, and begin to leverage their credit to do the things that they want to do. Yeah, I think that I love the way that you guys kind of have this structure and the flow set up as well. And um you talked about the business funding thing, which is kind of where I want to lead the end of this conversation is around that a little bit, because I think that's going to be super valuable because there's a lot of business owners listening to this about how they can get the access to the funding. But before I do, you mentioned something that I have a lot of respect for and also a lot of you know fear around, and, and that's around like operational complexity, you know, sales teams, client success teams, this product line, that product line. So on the operations side of things, which everybody loves to talk about sales and marketing and like, you know, content and like shooting, you guys got all these leads, right? Content. But unfortunately, (laughs) people don't realize that the, when you scale the bottleneck, you know, my clients are always shocked whenever we get them booked appointments. And I think that getting appointments is actually not that hard to do, but fulfilling when you're trying to scale, that's usually where the majority of bottlenecks happen, especially from like the hundred thousand to $500,000 a month range. That's like almost always a thing that's stopping people from scaling. So what are some bottlenecks that maybe you guys have experienced and how did you overcome them so that people that are listening to this right now, if they're in that same kind of range, they can kind of maybe see that ahead of time and uh, and, and avoid it or fix it? So one of the biggest difference makers for us in 2022 was hiring a CSM, customer success manager, because or client success manager, interchangeable. I digress. So when we brought that person on, that was somebody Monday through Friday, 40 hours a week, 160 hours a month, was only their their only job is to make sure that the clients are being handled. They're getting their messages sent out. They're getting on the phone and, and solving problems. They're making sure that if we need them to do something, it's getting done in a timely manner because it's a team effort with a lot of the services that we do where, yes, it's as done for you as we possibly can make it. Mm-hmm. But if we need you to open a bank account, we can't open the bank account for you. We need you to do that. So the biggest bottleneck for us was, well, how do we help fulfillment continue to happen as we scale up? We had the sales team in place. We had two full-time salesmen taking calls, closing leads, but we still had issues with our clients getting the deliverable on a consistent basis. Why? Because we're not trying to be in the weeds every single day, making sure the clients are doing what they need to do and everything's going smooth. So we brought somebody on to handle that. So then that way, as we did scale up and now we are hitting the you know six figures on a, on a consistent basis in just that one service, the fulfillment is still happening. But we're also aware of the, of the ceiling, yeah. which is why we see the ceiling for, say, business funding higher than what the ceiling is for credit repair based on the margins and and what that service is ultimately worth. But that still has its own ceiling based on fulfillment, right? Sure. So 
when we talk about in the future, we realize that having a higher ticket community is going to be the thing that's going to create that that largest um, potential uh, return on on time investment for us. However, we realize the importance that service has for a lot of the people that that follow us and need help with stuff. Because if we're able to do it for them, then it's going to turn out a lot better for them. I know, like la- last year, we had a we had a video that went viral, like early in the year and we had a huge influx and this was like when we started going oh man our sales per our one salesperson is getting two weeks booked out we are losing money by not having another yeah. salesperson and so then we had to go find another person but you know there was like this idea of you know obviously when you're when you have the business you want it to be the best business possible and so I had this idea of a customer journey that I wanted to have happen and I could not make it happen by myself. Like I could not have the intro call. I could not have the onboarding call. I could not have monthly update calls and text messages and whatever, you know, needed to happen for someone, you know, yes, we have, you know, overseas people, but I wanted to make sure that, you know, I'm providing a service where you can hop on the phone with someone in the US that is just as knowledgeable about credit as me. And I one person doing that to hundreds of potential messages a week was absolutely insane. So it actually became a problem where like I couldn't handle it. And we were like, if we don't solve this problem, it's going, we're going to start, we're going to start the slide because I'm not going to be, yes, we're able to fulfill the service was fine. We're able to sell the leads, but that middle area of managing, answering questions, you know, dealing with client issues. Um, Hey, this thing popped up. I need a call ASAP. That was, you know, that was that was a really big fear for probably like two months where I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what to do. Um, and and that's kind of where I help Chris in areas that, you know, he doesn't always see. So I saw that and I said, Chris, I got to get your time freed up. And he said, I don't, how are you going to do that, Josh? So I spent three months finding a CSM, probably was on a hundred different interviews, really trying to find the right person for the job. And then came to Chris and said, all right, we got our girl. And he's like, wait, really? And I'm like, yep, she's starting like in two weeks. And then I'm like, your job is to train her. I'm like, make her you. And then he did that for a few months. And then operational bottleneck now goes away because now we have this person in place doing what Chris's job was, freed up 80% of his time back into the high-level activity I need him to be able to do with me. Um, and that's kind of now it's led us to where we are now, talking about new verticals, different ways that we can, um, you know, uh, it, you know, expand outward or expand upward. Yeah, I think that client success managers are probably one of the most underutilized or understood roles mm-hmm. in a service-based business. But even for us, it's one of the most important roles in our entire company. And anytime we're bottlenecked at scale, it's because we don't have enough client success managers. And I think the most simplest way for people listening to this is like, it doesn't mean that you're like, you're not able to, cl- it doesn't mean you're not able to close and it doesn't mean you're not able to deliver just like you were saying a moment ago. It's the, like the in-between. It, they're almost like glue. It's like, you know, there's things that you can't do, like maybe you said opening the bank account physically for them. So you just need someone to be like, hey, open the bank account, open up the bank account. Open the, you know, like just, it's almost accountability. Uh, and our client success managers do a lot more than just that. But if if I had to boil it down, it's just like they just make sure the person moves along the journey to the way they're supposed to do. And especially depending, I mean, we work with very sophisticated business owners that are doing like 15, 20 million dollars a year, and they have the exact same problems that this business owner that has like 10 to 20 thousand dollars a year. And it's mostly that they don't have accountability on what they're doing on the day to day, they're getting distracted everywhere. So, um, I love the client success manager piece. I want to 
pivot and just talk finally on the actual business funding side of things. I think that's awesome. Um, you know, I've used it myself. Uh, I know other people that have used it. And like I use access to funding not necessarily because I need the funding, but I also use access to funding because it's just nice to use other people's money if you don't have to use your own, right? That's just like kind of smart, especially even if it's at like maybe a 2% interest rate and I can use, uh, I can make a three extra turn on ads and it doesn't even make sense to do it. So walk me through a little bit, like who would use this funding, who they have to be. And then like, what are some processes? Like, let's say somebody doesn't know if they want to work with you guys or not, but they do want access to business funding. What are some of the things that they could do to maybe start that journey or start that process? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and you know, we've actually seen a variety of business owners um, or people that don't even have their own business yet come in and, and want to work with us because Overall, life is not about how much money you have in your bank account, it's your ability to borrow. And a lot of people that are looking to either become business owners or are business owners now realize that. So as far as, you know, what business funding is, is it's kind of whatever you want it to be. You know, our focus is on 0% interest credit cards because anybody can get credit cards. A lot of people love the idea of getting a quarter million dollars line of credit or a big loan, but unfortunately that's way more difficult to get if you're a new business owner. You actually need to create the paper trail, show the banks why they should trust you with a line of credit or with a loan, but it's actually extremely easy to get access to credit cards. So that's kind of where we've really honed in um, for a lot of the new business owners that we work with. So, I mean, we've seen a variety. So for example, there's this one uh, person, so she owns a uh, consumer packaged good. It's like a herbal tea or something like that. And she needs to be able to buy enough inventory so then that way she can get her product in storefronts across California. You know, so she's a business owner that's been in business for a couple of years and is now just needing some runway so that she can buy $50,000 worth of her product to, again, get it in stores and potentially make a return. Then we have another person that they want to start a logistics company. So they want to be able to buy a box truck. Okay, well then how do they do that? Well, they can buy, you know, the truck in cash or they could take a loan out and pay an interest rate or they can get access to a credit card that they can liquidate and then use that for the down payment or depending on the truck, they might be able to just pay for the truck entirely. So it's a variety of people, whether they be new or whether they be seasoned. Um, and the biggest thing is it all comes down to personal credit, which is why our, you know, our, our brand, the Credit Brothers, is so focused on personal credit. We don't really talk about business credit specifically because that, in the grand scheme of things, doesn't really matter. What matters is your ability to leverage your personal credit. And, you know, unfortunately, there's some business owners that they want funding, but they don't have good personal credit because they've messed it up in the past. Now they become repair clients. Um, and that's something that we've seen as well. Interesting. And I think it's, I think you're, what you said about business credit is kind of interesting because like, I don't even know what my business credit is and I don't really care. And it's like, by the time you might want to use your business credit, which is likely to get like lines of credit or something on those lines for your business, uh, it has more to do with what your cat, your business is cash flowing month. Cause I have multiple lines of credit, like with Chase and stuff like that, but they cared mostly about what my bank account statements exactly. had, Taxes. what my merchant processor, yeah. the tax returns, all that. They didn't really give a shit about the business credit, but the personal credit was interesting because also most of the people that, that ironically need access to funding probably had just started their business in the past few years. Like, like I don't, I don't necessarily need access to funding because my business cash flows, but if you don't have a business that's cash flowing, it's either because a, you're in the wrong business or B because you just started out. Right. And so you need access to kind of funding. And is that why they look at personal credit more? Is it because like you just, if you just started your business in the last 12 months, you're not really cash flowing. So they're like, well, I can't trust that. Let me see if this person's a trustworthy person on their personal credit. Is that the reason behind it? 
Yeah, I mean, credit is a combination of trust and perception. So if the business is new or the business hasn't been established for, you know, a year or two years, then how is the business going to get approved for a credit card? It has no track record. It has no history. So then that way they look at at the person that's applying and saying, okay, well, this business, you know, doesn't really have any history, but you're the person applying. Well, what's, what's you as the individual? What does your credit look like? Because we want you to personally guarantee that if this business takes out this credit card for $20,000 and doesn't pay it back, that you as the individual are now going to guarantee that this will get paid because we're looking at you as the trustworthy source to make up for what the business doesn't have. Okay. And when someone's looking at getting access to 0%, is it on a business card or for the funding or is it on a personal card? Is it a combination of both? Which one is it? So it's going to be 0% business credit cards. Okay. There are 0% credit cards on the personal side, but you don't, You want to avoid putting a lot of debt on personal credit cards, and here's why. Because the difference between a business credit card and a personal one, a personal credit card goes on your credit report. You open up a credit card with Chase, 30 days, you're going to see a new account pop up on your you know, Experian report or whatever. It says, hey, you have a new account, and it's going to have the limit. It's going to have the balance that you put on it, whatever, right? If you open up a new business credit card, that does not go on your personal credit report. So because of that, if you're actually trying to keep your credit score high and also leverage leverage credit cards in in a way that you can, you know, put a large balance on it, maybe even max it out, open a $20,000 business credit card, literally use all 20,000, that would destroy your personal credit if you used if you did that on a personal credit card. Oh. You put that same money on a business credit card, it's not going to show up on your personal credit report, so your score does not get impacted. Wow, I actually never knew that. And what is like the average score that someone, if they're considering doing this, like what should be the score? It's like, hey, if you're below this score, don't even try to open up a credit card. Oh, you, it's gonna be it's gonna be six eighty. So six eighty, six eighty plus. Uh, I mean, usually it will work if someone has like a six sixty, they have a utilization problem, or you know, maybe too many inquiries. We'll just go wipe those off, help them get their utilization down by working with them. Uh, get their score at least to a 680. Ideally, that 715, 720, and higher the better uh, is, is going to be most ideal. And, and when you say utilization, just for people who don't know this, that's that meaning how the difference between their what their credit limit is and how much money they have on the credit card, right? Correct. Yeah. And, and, so, and if they lower that, what's the time frame to seeing that? Like, let's say my utilization, I have a credit uh, line of 10,000, I have $7,000 in it, I pay it off today. How long do I have to wait until I see that credit score increase? Yeah, so that'd be up to 30 days. So if today is the 17th and that card reports every single month to the credit bureaus on 21st, well, it's not going to be 30 days. It would be actually four days. Oh. And so it could be it could be quicker, uh, but it could be up to 30 days. Uh, and one of, the, one of the areas I wanted to touch on is a lot of people focus on the credit score but what really allows people to get, really get access to the money is not always based off the credit score. The credit score does not tell the full story. It is how the credit report is actually built. Interesting. What do you mean by that? So every, uh, you know, obviously there's a there's five parts of credit, and so you have credit cards and you loans. You have installment loans. You have credit cards uh, for revolving accounts, and so ideally you have. You you at least need two credit cards and one you know one loan to have some sort of mix on your report, and that's usually the baseline for people that we work with that say want to get a house or get a car or just have a baseline to build credit. 
you're trying to go get access to money, you got to have that trust of the banks. And so we're looking for five to 10 accounts, five absolute bare minimum. If the really the goal is 10 plus positive accounts, a mix of credit cards and loans, no exact, you know, eight and one or whatever, whatever it may be. Um, at least ten to fifteen thousand dollars of personal credit cards already on your report. At least you know two years of average age of history. So how long you've had those accounts open, and that's part of why we recommend people to open multiple accounts as quick as possible, so their average age doesn't continue to drop. And their personal card on their yeah personal on the per- on the personal because what what the underwriting teams are going to look at is they're going to look at the credit report on your personal side as a baseline to giving you the larger credit limits when people see hey how did this person get approved for 30 40 50,000 you know on his on a credit card well some of that is you know obviously knowing some of that's going to be from the credit report some of that might be from someone you know on the inside that's helping you underwrite that application but from the credit report side because not everyone just knows someone on the inside or has that relationship manager to help underwrite what people can do on the personal side is really build out that strong credit report. And that's going to be having as many large credit limits as possible on the report. Bare minimum 10 to 15K of personal credit is going to help get access to 10, 15, $20,000 credit limits consistently. And what is like the good, let's say someone has those credit cards, they have the good average age, they have above a 680. Like what are some of one or two of the credit cards that you're like, hey, if you have all these things, I'd probably start with this credit card to get access to some funding. Yeah, Chase Inc. Unlimited. Chase Inc. Unlimited? Yeah, I mean, a lot, a Chase, Chase, Chase and American Express are obviously really big banks. Uh, Bank of America is pretty good. U.S. Bank. Business. Isn't there some rule about either American Express or Chase, like how many you can apply to in like a certain amount of time range? Isn't there something like that? Or yeah. No? So the for the business side on Chase, it's two, two and sixty days. So okay. you can get the Chase Inc. Unlimited and then go get the Chase Inc. Preferred. You can do them both, like same day, hit them both, but then do nothing for sixty days. Right. And just to clarify, I think you're referring to the Chase Five Twenty Four rule, which is something that only applies to personal credit cards. Okay. So when we're talking about the Chase Inc. Unlimited, that's a business card, so that does not actually fall under that that Five Twenty Four now. Now you need to make sure that that application is facilitated through a, a business relation manager. Uh, Otherwise, you may run into that 524 issue, but uh, it is something you can bypass if you work with someone inside of the bank. Yeah, I will say I, I a few years ago, my buddy was like, hey, you should probably start like – consolidating your relationship in one bank because I had like all these banks on these credit cards and I, I think it's beneficial to have a lot of them but as far as like a building a real relationship and so I just chose Chase because they're the largest bank in the world and I started that a few years ago and now I'm like a platinum level client with them I have a specific person I have her phone number so anytime something goes wrong um, I can call her she fixes it for me and now I do some of my merchant processing through them and they're the ones that got me access to the line of credit so this is an affiliate for Chase but just for people listening to this I do <laughs> want to say that like it is very beneficial to start building you said you kind of you phrased it a few times like access to someone on the inside it's like it those relationships i think do make a difference when you're uh trying to do some of these things uh, especially compounded on each other like trying to get lines of credit trying to get a credit card trying to maybe get a personal credit card and then maybe even helping fa- family members or something like that do you guys have in your business or just in your relation, do you guys have like those people inside yeah. the different banks? Yeah, so we we have them with Chase, we have them with American, uh, with uh, with Bank of America as well, 
And then we have a couple sporadic like Citizens Bank. We have one so people that are in the areas that can get access to Citizens Bank. It's a lot easier, especially for business owners that ha have one to two years of tax returns. We're able to get them some pretty good limits on both credit cards and lines of credit and loans through, the, through those banks. But the easiest, you know, one of the easiest things for people to do is, yes, big banks are great, but regional and local banks are really, really good. So it is relatively time consuming, but, you know, you can go the online digital route on how we found ours, which was through LinkedIn, but also just going into the actual bank, meeting the person in person, explaining what you do, you know, why, why you want to bank with them, and then asking them a couple questions can really help understand, well, one, what are the, you know, do they even have business credit cards? Do, what are their lending requirements? What are their, you know, do they put something like a UCC on my business if I go after a loan or a line of credit? Those are some big things that people, you know, can do by themselves without needing to go to a company to do it for them. Or, you know, again, people like to just have, go to one place and then we just have it done for them. Sure. That's, that's, you know, the knowledge and stuff that we already have behind us. Yeah, and as far as like the service, we have two phases, optimization and actual funding. So everything that he was talking about with structuring a credit report, creating the relationships with the banks, we facilitate and, and handhold the business owners that we work with through that process to say, do this, do this, do this. So then that way they do walk away not only with a fully optimized personal credit profile, which is just a benefit, a secondary benefit, yeah. but we're doing all of that so then that way when we go to the funding side where we're actually submitting applications, we have the absolute best possible chance of maximum return, which is why anybody can go out and apply for a business credit card. It's not hard. Just go online, walk into a bank, you can do it. But the, the challenge is how do you not only apply for a card, but how do you consistently get high limits? on credit cards from different banks. That's the challenge that, you know, we we had for ourselves. And then over the last, you know, several months, we've been able to really crack that code and figure out how to do that, um, which is now why we're able to kind of offer that as part of, you know, a service where we optimize first, then we go and get funding. Makes total sense. Chris, Josh, this has been an awesome, awesome podcast. I really appreciate you guys hopping on here. I appreciate you guys being open about your family relationships, about the business, how it works. And then even I learned a few things on the business credit side as well, which I thought that was super helpful. Um, if people are listening to this right now and they want to follow you guys online or maybe they want to help with business funding or even credit repair or maybe they want to talk about the mastermind that you guys have, anything along that, what's the best place people can learn from you, find you, reach you, ask you questions? Yeah, I really do appreciate you having us on. This has been an absolute blast. Um, obviously, Chris and I are, uh, we're on social media. Best place to find us is Instagram. Is you can actually direct message us, men mention that they, uh, that they watch this podcast. So then that way we'll kind of know kind of the direction that they might be coming from. But yeah, it'd be the best place. Awesome. Perfect. I appreciate you guys coming on and we'll drop their links in the show notes and I'll see you guys in the next episode.